Hello, residents. My name is Zach Olson. I'm joined today by Mike Estefan, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Ravitz Insurance, my personal independent life and disability insurance agent. We will talk more about Pearson Ravitz later in this episode. Let's get to it. I got a great case today. Today is round number 17 of the game. Mike's going to need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. He has 15 minutes to complete the full case. He does not know what the case is ahead of time. If he hits all of the critical actions that I've already listed out beforehand, there's no cheating. He wins. But if he doesn't, or if he does something really dangerous, then I win. These cases were created by me. They're not derived from actual ABEM cases that I had. They're not real patients. Are you ready to go, Mike? Yeah, let's do it, Zach. Mike, take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you. Put the human body on the left side of it. Let me know when you're ready. Let's do it. I'm all ready. Dr. Estefan, this will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? Will you go easy on me? Absolutely. As always. <laughs> all right, let's do it. All right. I'm starting the timer. Now, Dr. Estefan, you are working at Clerkship General Hospital. When you hear a sepsis alert called overhead and a page for you to come to the resuscitation bay. Okay, I uh, walk into the room. What do I see? Uh, you see a young female. Uh, she she is a little bit confused. She's diaphragmatic. She doesn't look great. Okay, uh, could we get her on the monitor? Uh, get an opening set of vitals. Two large bore IVs. She's on the monitor. You got uh, two IVs set, and so here's your initial vitals. You have a heart rate of 145. You have a respiratory rate of 32. You have a blood pressure of 141 over 85, and an O2 saturation of 93%. Okay, and can I get a temperature on her? 102.7. 102.7. Okay, and... All right, and is she able to talk? Yeah, she can talk. Okay. Um, hi there, my name is Dr. Estefan. I'm one of the resident doctors taking care of you today. What is bringing you to the ER today? Uh, hey, doctor. Hey, I, I, I'm not feeling well. Okay. How long have you not been feeling well for? I, I, I don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, how did she get here? Did the EMS bring her here? Um, she's actually brought in by her husband, who's just uh, walking in now, too. Okay, can I talk to the husband real quick? Sure. Hey, hi. Are you the doctor? Yeah, what's been going on with your wife? Uh, she's, she's like, really sick. She has been vomiting and, and having diarrhea and over, I don't know, the last couple days and just really not doing well. Okay. Um, all right. Does she have any allergies to medications? No. Does she take any medications? No. Does she have any medical problems? No. Has she ever had surgery before? No. All right. And for the patient, are you having any pain anywhere? Uh, just in, you know, over, just where my, my scar is for my surgery. What surgery did you have? Oh, uh, she just got out of the hospital. She had a child. She had a C-section. Okay. When was your C-section? It's like a week ago. All right, let's give this lady some Tylenol. 
um, and start some fluids on her while I do an exam. We can get two liters running. Two liters of fluid. How much Tylenol? Uh, we can do 650. 650 of Tylenol. Okay. Those have been administered. All right. Um, general appearance. How does she look? Um, she just looks kind of, she, again, she's diaphoretic. She's just kind of squirrely in the bed. She feels almost like restless or confused. Okay. Any nuchal rigidity? No. Okay. Um, what's our mental status like? Alert and oriented times. Um, yeah, she's alert and oriented times three. She doesn't quite get what's going on. Okay. All right. Um, I completely undress her. Any obvious signs of trauma or an infection anywhere? Uh, no, just the, the, the C-section scar. Okay. Um, I listen to her lungs. What do I hear? She's got some crackles. Okay. At the bases? Yeah. Just a little bit. Okay. And heart. Do I hear any murmurs? No, no murmurs. Okay. Um, belly. I press on her belly. Um, she doesn't seem to have any focal like pain. What are you looking for? Uh, tenderness, and then um, specifically looking at the post-op site infection, undressing any dressings that are on it, and seeing how the scar looks. Yeah, it looks all right. There's no real focal tenderness. Um, her lower extremities, are they swollen? Is there any pitting edema? Yeah, a little bit. And any redness, especially on the posterior aspect of her legs, medial aspect? No. All right. Um, can I do a bedside ultrasound really quick? Sure. All right. I want to look, I want to do an echo. I want to look at our heart function. Okay. What are you looking for? Um, mainly presence of a pericardial effusion, um, and her ejection fraction. Um, her, there's no pericardial effusion. Her heart is, it's hyperdynamic. Her ejection fraction is, geez, probably like 70%. Seven zero. Seven zero. All right, and I take a look at her lungs. I'm looking for beelines and lung sliding. She has lung sliding. She has no beelines. No beeline. Or she does. She does have beelines. Sorry. Okay. 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 Uh, so, so yeah. So let me correct that. So there's there's normal lung sliding and there is beelines. Okay. All right. Um, let's draw some blood. Uh, let's let's do like a complete sepsis workup. Um, so I want a CBC, BMP, blood cultures. Uh, we'll get a troponin on her, LFTs. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I would like a pro-BNP just to make sure she's not in like postpartum cardiomyopathy, but it doesn't sound like that's exactly what's going on. Um, did she have any right ventricular di dilation on my echo? No. Okay, great. Um, let's see, troponin, uh, BMP. What else am I missing? Um, so far, the nurse has CBC, BMP, troponin, LFTs, a BNP, and blood cultures. Oh, uh, lactate. Um, and then let's get a VBG as well. Anything else? Um, ugh. I think that's all I want. Um, and although I'm not entirely confident that she is septic right now, it sounds like she has some pulmonary edema. Um, I would like to start her on 
broad spectrum antibiotics just up front at this time, just in case this is sepsis until proven otherwise. Um, we can start her, I guess, on Fanxosin uh, at this point. All right. Pharmacist will get it ready to go. Great. Um, and then can we get a chest x-ray and an EKG? All right. Yep, you can certainly get that. All right. We're working, I think, chest x-rays at bedside first. That'll be uploaded shortly. Okay, and really quick, um, can I ask the patient why she had a C-section? Uh, she was just wasn't progressing during the labor. Okay. All right. And the EKG is sent. Let me know if you get the chest x-ray and the EKG here. All right, give me one second. I'm going to pull it up. Still waiting on them. Oh, just got them. Give me one second. All right, well, she she definitely has florid pulmonary edema, consistent with my ultrasound. The EKG is very irregular. I'm trying to convince myself. I don't think I can see P waves. I think she is in... This is some kind of SVT, either AFib or MAT, or she's just having a bunch of ectopy, like PACs. All right, you got some blood work back. Okay. Um, white count of 12,000, uh, platelets, normal, hemoglobin, 12.6, BMP, uh, sodium is normal, potassium is normal, um, I don't think you got a sugar yet of 100, um, renal function is fine, blood cultures won't come back for a while, uh, the troponin is negative, the LFTs are normal. The BNP is 300. Or did you say a pro-BNP? Pro-BNP. It's, it's um, I don't know the units off the top of my head. So uh, just above normal limits. Okay. Um, lactic acid of 2.5. And the gas is otherwise fine. pH 7.37. A little low. Okay. All right, so just to kind of summarize here, because I, I don't think I'm getting to what is causing her pulmonary edema, but this is a young, otherwise healthy female who's one day post-op from a C-section delivery who's febrile, tachycardic, and somewhat hypoxic. Um, she has pulmonary edema on x-ray, bedside ultrasound, and physical exam. Her belly is soft, non-tender. Surgical site looks fine. Um, her ejection fraction looks fine as well. So I don't think this is postpartum cardiomyopathy. I mean, she's definitely got signs of volume overload. Um, can I feel her liver on my abdominal exam? Normal. Normal. Okay. Well, all right. So I, I don't think she's totally backed up, but it sounds like she's overloaded right now. Patient um, is vomiting. Oh, and I forgot about that. Yeah, let's let's give her some uh, some Zofran. Okay. Four milligrams of IV Zofran. So she's vomiting, having diarrhea. She's febrile, tachycardic. I mean, I think she's septic, but I just don't know why she has pulmonary edema. She's like one week postpartum. I think you said one day. One week. One week. I mean... The nurse lets you know that the patient is having a seizure. Oh, my goodness. 
All right. Um, let's. I guess so. She was somewhat hypotensive. Let's let's give her. Uh, we can give her two of Ativan and also get hang two grams of magnesium at this point because I I think this is now consistent with uh, post pregnancy um, eclampsia. It doesn't sound like help syndrome. All right, two of Ativan is given. Two of magnesium is given. Okay, is she still seizing? She stopped seizing. Okay. All right. Can we call OB? Sure. They're not picking up. Okay. Um, let's give her... I mean, I I would diurese her. Uh, well... What's her... Can we revital her? Sure. Um, temperature is 104.8. Heart rate is 150. Blood pressure is 120 over 80. O2 saturation is 92%. She's breathing 40 times a minute. All right. Let's call respiratory. Let's call respiratory. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) She's okay. Does she know where she is? Has she stopped vomiting? Um, She's not vomiting. She's really confused. She doesn't know where she is. Is she like, like confused to the point where she's not going to tolerate BiPAP? Like if I'm in the room and if I'm in the room, I can rip the mask off. If she starts vomiting. Yep. She's fine. She, she, all right, let's, let's put her on bypass. bypass. The RT already started it. She's on bypass. All right. 12 over five. Improves. Yep. Okay. Oxygen's great. 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 Let's, let's give her some Lasix. Um, give her, uh, let's give her 40 of IV Lasix. Okay. Um, let's revital her. Um, Temperature. Oh, 10. stop! Stop the fluids! Stop the fluids! Fluids are stopped. Okay. <laughs> All right, and revital. Um, temperature is one hundred five three. Heart rate's one hundred and sixty. Oh my god! Um, respiratory rate is twenty nine. O two saturation is ninety nine percent on BiPAP. Oh my goodness! What was her VBG? Um, she's a little bit acidotic. Was there anything specifically you're looking for? Uh, I, I guess not. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She's she has a temperature that is not going down. I have no idea what the f is going on here. Um, can I do a a brief neuro exam? Does she have like clonus? Um, little hyperreflexic. Hyperreflexic. Yeah. No. No clonus. Okay. Um, and she takes no medications. Can I talk to the husband? Are there any medications at home that she would have access to? Do you think she could have been trying to hurt herself or anything like this? Nope. All right. What am I missing? Does she have any family history of any weird reactions to medications? No. Nope. Or something called malignant hyperthermia? Nope. <laughs> Oh my god. Has she been stung by a scorpion at any time? <laughs> no. God. Oh. I'm running out of causes for refractory fever, Zach. Help me. Alright, that ends your case. Oh. Oh. Was uh, I really out of time? Yeah, you're you're out of time. I was just letting oh. you squirm a little bit for funsies. Alright. <laughs> All right. Darn it. 
before we get into how you did, Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits is my personal disability and life insurance agent. One of the reasons I liked Pearson Rabbits as my disability agent is that they taught me things. They taught me lots of things. And one of the things that Stephanie taught me was that buying disability insurance is you need to get uh, what's called own occupation insurance. You may or may not have heard this term But Stephanie emphasized you need disability insurance that has strong own occupation definition working in your favor. And so what this means, you want disability insurance that's going to cover you if you're disabled in a way that you can't perform your own occupation. So I'll give you an example. So if I lose the ability to use my hands, let's say, I don't know, I break them or something. Now I can't do lumbar punctures. I can't do lines. I can't do my own occupation. For the, the company I'm, I'm working with now, I would be considered disabled. I can't do the job responsibilities that I'm supposed to do. Even if I'm perfectly capable of taking my disability money then uh, from this company that I'm disabled at, and then maybe I do a telemedicine job or something where I don't need to do procedures. Uh, lots of companies in this situation would say, lots of insurance companies would say, you're not disabled. You can still make income doing you know, physician-y things. Just get creative. And that's actually bad. That's not what you want. You want strong own occupation insurance that'll basically say, no, you can't use your hands. That you, you can't do your current job so you're disabled from your current so you have to you have to switch and so you you do get paid for that and so that's called own occupation insurance and there's different variations on the definitions of this which is why you need a disability insurance agent like pearson rabbits go to pearsonrabbits.com contact them to get your quote started Um, remember from previous months earlier is better for lots of reasons thank you to stephanie pearson and pearson rabbits for sponsoring this episode now back to our case all right man Woo! Woo! Okay. Well, um, you actually did really well. Okay. You just didn't get it. You just didn't get the, the, it didn't all fall together. Right. It's like, you're missing, like you're just missing the the final piece. Yeah. And I, I was just like, I was really trying to help you. I was like, man, I'm just like, no, no, five pounds, fine. Come on. Think you got it, man. You got, I know, <laughs> I know that you have this. And this is actually a, a very real case that you could get in residency or something. This is a, a real classic. Um, I, I actually don't know if I, if I got one of these myself when I was in residency, something similar to this. I know I heard one of these in residency. Um, so let me put it together for you and, and uh, kind of maybe try to rephrase it. So you have a patient who's postpartum. Yes. And how would you describe just her overall appearance and everything that's going on? Um, I mean, she looked sick. <laughs> she's sick. She's hyperthermic. She's tachycardic with AFib. You said her ejection fraction was fine. Oh, God. God. <laughs> I, I was going to. Holy crap, man. I was literally about to interrupt you and be like, hey, can we send the thyroid panel like really quickly? I don't think this is it. Is it? But that's what's going on, right? Is it postpartum, like hyperthyroidism, thyroid storm? Yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh, it crossed my mind. Damn it. Why didn't you get it, man? Why didn't you get the TSH? It's so easy. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I was so close to doing it, too. I know. I know. That's what was, I was like, oh, you, you got this. I know you have it. It's such a it's such a classic. It was a real a real honor to give you this case, by the way. This is such a classic one. God, um, and then so, so her ejection fraction was not normal, was it? No, it was. What it was, was she having? What was going on? She was in thyroid storm. Right. Um, as far as her tachy, heart she was failure. What? As far as her heart failure, what was going on? 
What do you mean? Give, like you had her on BiPAP, you're giving her Lasix. She had swelling in her legs. She had pulmonary edema. She had an elevated BNP. Uh, I mean, I assume some degree of postpartum cardiomyopathy, possibly secondary to thyroid storm. I, I don't know. Well, kind of where I was going with that is so we always think of heart failure as low ejection fraction. You can actually have high output heart failure in someone who's severely uh, anemic or they have yes, uh, yes, thyroid yes. storm and things like that. So she was actually had a hyperdynamic ejection fraction. With, so she was high output heart failure, which is something you can get with thyroid storm. Um, That's fair. She had the swelling of her legs. Uh, you could have asked about, you know, if you check for thyroid on exam, which you didn't do, she would have had a goiter, um, but she was vomiting and diarrhea. She had, I was trying to just turn up the temp to ridiculous levels. So you knew it was like, this is not just like a UTI, you know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, that's what's going on. Tell the audience a little bit um, about thyroid storm. Yeah. So um, I have never seen a case um, all I know about it is from all the board review questions and just some basic reading, but, um, the classic teaching is there are a bunch of different medications you need to give and they have to be given in a certain order. Now, the first one that the textbooks like you to give is propan- propranolol, um, a beta blocker, um, because the, I, from what I recall in med school, some of the active thyroid hormone kind of has its effect either it has its effect on the beta receptor or it increases the number of beta receptors on your cells i forget but beta blockade is the first thing you do um and then i believe you give some kind of thyroid blocker either methimazole or ptu um and then you have to give the iodide after the thyroid blocker and then you give steroids at some point later yeah I mean, you would have you would have nailed it. Oh. If you had gotten a TSH, you would have had the case. God, critical actions. You would have knocked you out of the part. You would have done great. Um, so yeah, I mean, you were you were so close. I was I was I thought that you would potentially pull this pull this out. That was a really um, good it, case. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. A really it's a classic. One. It's a fun one to torment people with. Um, you know, so you, you're absolutely right on the treatment. So the treatment would be a beta blocker, classically propanolol, just kind of a broad spectrum beta blocker, basically. You would want to, and that's to kind of prevent, you know, decrease to help with the, the heart failure and the high output, high output heart failure. You would treat with either PTU or methimazole. I've heard different sources say which one is more appropriate. My understanding is that methimazole is a little bit better, and then I hear other places say PTU. So, but one of those that blocks the synth- the synthesis of thyroid hormone and um, steroids as well is something you give because the way it works. So your thyroid, um, so you have your TSH right th- stimulating the thyroid. The thyroid is making T4. And T4 doesn't have much effect on the body, and most of it's protein bound. So you you measure it in the bloodstream. That's what we measure is the amount of total thyroid hormone out there. It's actually the T3 when it gets converted to T3 in the blood. That's what's causing the primary effect. So steroids stop that conversion. So it's another aspect of the the 
kind of the flip that you can kind of prevent some of the thyrotoxicosis and the thyroid storm. So you basically, what you do, you um, take down the thyroid gland with either PT or methimazole. You block all the peripheral effects with the beta blocker. You prevent the conversion of T4 to the, uh, the active T3 or the much more active T3 with steroids. Once you do all of that, the, mo- the classic thing is that you want to give the iodide last because if you feed the thyroid with a bunch of iodide before you shut it down, you're just going to make a ton of hormone all of a sudden because you're just yeah. dumping a bunch of iodine in the body. So that's why you have to do the iodide last. Um, and there's different options for that. And, you know, what do you do if they have the the wonderful iodine allergy, which is yeah, obviously physiologically impossible. But anyways, that's different. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's see here. You you did good history. You did a good exam. One of the critical actions was to treat for sepsis. Um, I kind of had two learning points as far as strategy with this case that I wanted to point out for you. So um, one of them is this is so there's different types of cases that you'll potentially get. You'll just get like the hardcore like resuscitation case. You'll get a case or, you know, probably you'll probably get a case that's uh, very psychosocially difficult. It's going to require a lot of counseling. It's, it's someone who's, you know, a kid who's on drugs or a, an abusive situation, you know, things like that. You'll probably get something along those lines. Um, and then there's cases like this where it's very specific and you either, you either get it or you don't get it. Right. And once you get like, if you're like, it was the thyroid. Once you get that, you're just like, boom, boom, boom. You get all the treatments and you're going to nail the case. But you can also easily fail the case if you don't have that broad spectrum of knowledge on what is like a truly like life-threatening classic emergency medicine diagnosis. If you don't make this, no one else in the hospital is going to make this. Um, so yeah, it's it's this is one of the reasons why it's good that you do the oral boards after you do your written boards because the written board is going to give you that nice breadth where you're going to have kind of your thoughts on a lot of things. But um, – yeah, you'll get this next time around. I don't think you'll forget this one. So that's oh good. no, no, this um, is this is other ingrained. other scenarios that would come into to play with thyroid storm. So like postpartum is kind of a classic one that you see. Um, much more common is someone who is has a thyroid disease, right? So they have Graves' disease, or they take too much of their thyroxine or something like that, and so that's more of an iatrogenic. There's lots of things that can kind of trigger this. A classic one, though, I feel like is postpartum or like, uh, just because it's, it makes for a good case, right? You know, you don't, it's not like you're like, do you have any medical problems? And you're like, yes, I have Graves' disease. That's it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not that interesting. Um, so, um, Another thing that can cause this is is sepsis, like infections and pancreatitis and all that can trigger this as well. I think that in emergency medicine, I don't know about you, but I was even talking to one of my partners yesterday. We we just do not get enough TSHs on people, and I and I don't know why we get CBCs on everything. And CBC is a completely useless test in most scenarios, unless you're looking for like anemia, right? The white count is unreliable for everything, you know. So the anemia is helpful sometimes. The platelets are helpful when it's, you know, some new issue. But, I you know, I feel like we're always just like, let's just send some basic labs. Like, I feel like TSH would be one of those basic labs. It can manifest as so many things. Vomiting, diarrhea, decreased sleep, increased sleep, mood changes, you know. I don't – I just feel like we don't get it enough. Do you get TSH? So <laughs> I, I want to give myself a pat on the back. Um, I had a case last week where this woman came in, hypoglycemic, and she's an insulin-dependent diabetic and – she said she used her insulin earlier in the day, but she has gastroparesis, so she didn't eat, and that's kind of why her blood sugar was low. I saw on her history that she had a history of hypothyroidism, and her sugar was 40 when she came in. So I added on a TSH T4, 
and the TSH took forever to come back. So I didn't actually see the outcome of this case really? okay. uh, because they were diluting it. But her TSH came back at 160, um, which is Perfect. like 100 times over the upper limit of normal or something like that. 10 times over the upper limit of normal. It totally changes your management. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. She got admitted. Instead of going home, mm-hmm. she got admitted for endocrinology and like all this stuff. And we get so many different. I don't know. We just get basic labs for no reason. I mean, I'm trying. I do that much less now. You know, I'm trying to not be like, I'm just going to get a BMP and CBC just because. Um, but I feel like this is one of those things where you're like, man, if you're just going to be throwing labs out there because you have no idea what the hell's going on, like TSH is probably one of the best tests you can get. Yep. <laughs> we never get it. It's like the only thing we don't get. And it comes back, for me, it comes back. It's like one of the first tests that come back. It comes back with a BMP. You know, you're just like, oh, there's the TSH. Yeah. Um, with I will get a know, TSH for any hypoglycemia, any new AFib, any palpitation. Well, and so one of the things I wanted to teach with this case, I actually do a lecture on this for the residents, but um, there, you know, one of the big issues with the current sepsis alerts is there's such an effort, uh, push for sepsis, right? Antibiotics on board, blood cultures, lactic acid, fluids, yada, yada, you know, that, you know, they get called overhead like three times. And then the nurse like, is like, Hey, I don't know if you heard it. And then like the, the text, like, Hey, just so you know, I got everything on your steps. You know, it's, it's crazy. And it's as far as premature closure, which is a cognitive error. Like this is just drives you towards, you know, Oh, it's septic. Get the chest x-ray UA, check the skin, uh, blood culture, lactic acid, antibiotics. I'll have them admitted before the tests are back, you know? So, <laughs> and there, but there's things that can mimic sepsis that are absolutely life threatening. And, uh, they make for, for misses, you know? So like a classic one on your boards potentially would be like a thyroid storm. Like I feel like that's a case that gets thrown around in residency. Um, again, I'll never talk about my actual board cases, uh, like salicylate toxicity is one. So that's where I was going with, with the gas. That's, that was my thought. Yep. 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 No, I saw you going through the whole list. You nailed everything else. <laughs> um, salicylate toxicity is one in the, in, in my history of a as being a physician i've had sepsis alerts called for patients who you know use a bunch of cocaine or meth and they come in they're altered and they're diaphoretic with dilated pupils and their their temperature is 103 and they're tachycard right and it's, it's sympathomimetics um and then i don't get i mean i'm in ohio right now there's like snow on the ground but especially when you get into warmer areas you start to see a lot more of the environmental um, this is like a marathon thing. This is like the number one sports medicine thing is uh, heat stroke, right? So you between heat stroke, salicylate toxicity, thyroid storm, um, uh, like sympathomimetic toxicity, and another one would be like PE. Pretty uncommon to get super high temperatures with the PE, but another one that causes tachycardia, rapid respiratory rate, low-grade fevers, right? And you just like – you get the X-ray and it shows a little – blob and you're like oh it must be pneumonia you know so there there's things in there that mimic sepsis that are all life-threatening that are worth keeping in mind heat stroke salicylate thyroid storm sympathomimetic toxicity pe or you know that's how i designed my lecture on it just to uh kind of hammer that point a little harder hypothetically sometime in the past couple months i had a case where a patient was post-op day two from a large orthopedic surgery came in because they were having worsening pain at the site and they were febrile. Um, so I initially walked over thinking I'm calling orthopedics right now for a post-op infection. 
And they were satting 60% when I walked into the room. And of course, they had like eight different pulmonary emboli or their joint was fine. And if you study it, I mean, so you absolutely can get uh, a fever with DVT and PE. You, the most, the majority of them are going to be like 101. And I actually found the number in a study once. So like a temperature greater than 103 or something like that, it's like less than one in 50 PEs will cause that. But I mean, it's theoretically possible. You know, if I have a somewhat a temp of 104, my first thought is not, oh, it's a PE. You know, I'm being fooled. It's, but it, it, I mean, it's theoretically possible. You have to at least think like could this be a dvt or something in a post-op patient for example so yeah just keep in mind there's some sepsis mimics out there that'll absolutely mislead you and take you down the wrong path i think there might be a bounce backs case in that book on like a salicylate toxicity um but so this is out there but anyways i mean you, you did great you rolled with the punches like when the patient started vomiting and seizing you know that you you rolled with it um and you just couldn't quite figure out what the diagnosis was, but you'll, you'll never miss it again. And I don't, I don't think I would have gotten it either. I, you know, it's you either know it or you don't, it's just one of those, you know, now you know it. <laughs> so, um, there's a, there's a scale out there. I was going to mention this called the Birch Wartowski. I don't even know how to say it. Birch Watofsky scale. You can look it up on like MD Calc, but you can put a lot of stuff in here and it kind of talks about the severity of it. So, I mean, at the end, she's got a temperature of over 104. She's seizing. Um, she has nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Her heart rate's over 140. She has uh, pulmonary edema. She has AFib. She had a particip- participating event. And so she would score as 120 points, highly suggestive of thyroid storm. Yeah, I've used that score once. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I I found it when I was preparing for this. My takeaway from, from all of this, I'm getting a lot more TSHs on people. Um, if I'm getting basic labs and, you know, I try, again, I try not to just get labs for no reason, but if I am going to get labs for no reason just because someone's weak and dizzy, right, I'm going to probably be adding on a TSH in that setting. You know, it's it's up there with like a urinalysis and someone who's not having urine symptoms. Like, oh, maybe they just have a UTI and don't realize it. Like, <laughs> so, anyways, um, that's my takeaway from this. Uh, your treatment was spot on. You knew what to do. You just uh, didn't nail the the initial diagnosis, but that's fine. That's fine. So, but anyways, uh, I, I I think it's a really good case. Um, please send us emails, everybody. You can get me, Zach, at emclerkship.com, uh, Mike, M-I-K-E, at emclerkship.com. You can email either of us. You can reach us through the website. This case will be uploaded online, so if you want to kind of see the summary and all of that. Um, anything else that you would like to add, Mike? Um, we can edit this, um, but we didn't talk about what the critical actions were. Oh, goodness gracious. We don't even have to edit that. I forgot the critical actions. It's because you missed so many of them. (laughs) Um, Oh, Oh. no. The critical actions were sepsis core measures, which you did. And um, the other four related to the thyroid storm. So it's obtain a TSH and free T4, uh, beta blockers, steroids, and then thyroid hormone synthesis with either PT or methimazole. Those are your critical actions. Okay. Um, you don't have to edit that. Sorry, everybody. I missed the critical actions. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, but it, it's yeah, – yeah. so you would have probably failed this case, but you're not going to fail it on the real test day because you got it now. And there's only so many cases like this that will trip you up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them – I'm going to make them cases so you don't miss them. Of course. Of course. But there's make only a handful that are – yeah, you suffer now publicly, and then you, you become <laughs> a real doctor. That's how it goes. 
So. It's the rite of passage. <laughs> exactly. We've all been there. It's just you're, see, so you have the courage to do it publicly. You know, <laughs> me, when I fail my cases, it's in front of my residency group and everyone snickers and be like, oh, podcast guy just got owned, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but you, you you're, you're a brave soul. So, anyways. That wraps it up, everybody. Uh, again, please send us an email. We'll be coming back to you again next month. But until that time, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift. <laughs>